You're listening to Roth City Radio, your underground overwater home of the latest news about the Callisto 6. My name is Mitch, aka Kung Fu Panzer, and with me I have Lawrence, aka PA Blackhawk, KC, aka Phoenix, P H E O N Y X, Craig, aka VCAM Spout, and I'm Kato, aka Kato. With like a weird, sultry voice? What's going on with you, Kato? <laughs> I get bored. I like to change it up. I know you like to shake it up, but that, I'm a little... D- don't you think you do the entire podcast in that voice? Oh, yeah. What's actually happened is right before recording, um, I open- I yawned really loud and I like dislocated my jaw. It was really painful. <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually just as we were going into the thing and I spent like the whole time like massaging my jaw. <laughs> and that's just the voice that came out at the end of like when I was like, oh shit, I have to talk now. Yeah, this is this we have to do a thing. Ah, that's how I sound when my mouth hurts. Oh, that's fine. So you sound sultry when your mouth hurts. <laughs> I, yeah, I, after I have, like, mouth surgery, I, I attract a lot of people, a lot yeah. of attention <laughs> that I cannot just... really follow up on. <laughs> so, anyway, as always, at the top of the episode, what did everyone think? This was a really good episode. I enjoyed it a lot. We got some, uh interesting insights into a couple of the characters we found out news about our stretchy boy and Cass got to do the action comics number one thing oh yeah which we'll talk about later Cass slowly and ev- ever slowly becoming superman laser eyes <laughs> yes. just laser eyes they're, they're coming I want, I want laser eyes so badly you guys I also really enjoyed this episode. I think that it's just such a nice puzzle box that was set up. It's a really beautiful, actually, like two-parter cliffhanger to solve one part of the problem ages ago, like forever ago, and to come back um, to this episode. It was a really stunning mid-season opener that I really enjoyed. It was classic superhero stuff. Save the people on the bus from falling out of the sky. Yeah. And then the, you know, not so standard superhero void monster stuff i think that's pretty standard superhero let's be fair depends on the superhero honestly like for some people yes but, but for like most of them no i mean he's a horrifying nightmare monster that feeds on your dreams he sounds you know fairly standard for, for some people mm. everybody has their i guess mitzel pitlick not everyone has a mitzel pitlick like that's He's a very specific villain slash thing. Is, is Fletcher really Missile Pitlick? Everybody has their apocalypse. Does he have a hat? That's the question. On some level, on some level, the question is just: Does the universe have a extra-dimensional being or sort of cosmic universal threat? And the answer is yeah. At least the big two and most of the other superhero universes have at least one cosmic-level threat. Even if you go. Well, realistically, how good is Honey Badger or, say, Kid Flash at solving this problem? The answer is not at all. Obviously, you're going to send your heavy hitters. But that doesn't mean they don't... They still live in a universe that has that cosmic horror problem. It's just they can't personally do anything about it. I suppose. Anyway. Let, let the antenna lads sit back on at home. Regardless, let's have a bit of a chat about the fun classic superhero nonsense of a bus falling out the sky. Hopefully that doesn't happen on my commute. My bus never falls out the sky. 
I mean, it'd be rather difficult, Greg. It would be difficult. I wouldn't put it beyond impossible for uh, this bus company to pull it off, but um, thankfully, not so far. Just imagining a, a bus just doing a little jump off a little speed bump. It's a very Blues Brothers finale kind of uh, <laughs> <laughs> outcome. I do really like the bus. I think that the throwing these this particular group of heroes not at villains that they have to punch, but at kind of problem-solving humanitarian crisis actually makes for really interesting use of their powers, really interesting use of their talents. Still loosely within a combat framework, but not really, that just allows you to see just a lot more of what they're capable of without sort of being limited by, okay, and now try and hit the thing. Oh, you do this much damage. Well, they have so many more hit points left. I think this is a one of the best uses of the Cypher system is not necessarily for combat, but for these kind of open world sandboxy type problems. Mm. I, I did find it more engaging than a... Uh combat game yeah i just found it because they're they're all it's all role played out and the whole group's trying to get this problem solved hopefully without killing anyone in in way and it's it just seems a lot better than a combat which is dice and numbers and stuff not that i don't uh like i don't like combat but this just was fun part of me is dying inside you guys (laughs) it's okay that's okay kato that's okay the one thing I really like about uh, situations like this is it allows Eric to put opposition in the way of our heroes that is a little odd, like Roberto. Not not antagonistic, just trying to do his job. Apparently he's never seen current events in his life. There are, okay, LT, there are people that just don't watch the news <laughs> and don't go on Twitter. There are plenty of people. They're happy people. They're happy. <laughs> Living a life in wonderful ignorance. And, and I can imagine someone who drives a bus is more than happy just enjoying his life and the people he meets. And so Roberto being like, who the fuck are you? I enjoyed a lot. Completely believable reaction, I think. Yeah! That was great. Also, it's not like Lacey's been on TV. Mm. Roberto is a really good example of how good Eric is at being the guy on the street. It's just one of my favourite kind of roles or stereotypes Eric inhabits is the guy who's like huh what and reacts to things in a not hostile but not completely gonna roll with it way that creates a little bit of friction it's it's one of the best sort of things that he does and it's just so much fun yep like Cassium security guard Trevor poor Trevor ah Trevor hey there's there's some luck coming his way he's former Cassium security guard Trevor at this point isn't he he got fired yeah probably yeah uh... But I, I did like also that we got to see kind of some more of things like actually rolling for social encounters. So Luma starts off by being like, I'm going to boost Lacey and Oya, the two people who have actual inabilities, uh, official name, in social encounters, boosts their ability with her own sort of training in it. And then immediately, as soon as they go off to deal with the tech, she's like, okay, well, I'll deal with the front of house problem. All right, I'll talk to the people. And then, like... Like Oya, with most problems, thought, what if I just fucked with time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that always, always helps. Always. Though it did it did give some delightful comedy. Like Sam being super duper quick in repairing things. <laughs> Sam was so impressive at being able to do the jumpy, jerky cartoon movements of, yeah. of hyperspeed. It was really, I was just like, oh wow, that's really good physical 
comedy kind of action with but, the movements. But Gina, though, the slow motion calming the people <laughs> down on the bus <laughs> with the lo- exaggerated arm gestures, I was just like, oh my god, Gina, you're going to kill me. <laughs> it's perfect. Yeah. And then when they were trying to talk with the uh, the time difference and one's talking like that, that was just perfect. Mm. Like you said, that great physical physical comedy, but also that uh, that nice verbal comedy there too. And did it... sorry, can you go? Oh, I I just gonna say I did appreciate that they usually said things in normal speed and then either sped up or slowed down as was appropriate, because it meant that you could understand what they were saying before they went into sort of blitz response. Chaos. Yes. And then we got some some good old action comics. Super bloke. Before we do that, we do just have to know that Lacey was also o- opening just so many portals. That, yeah, just, just so many portals, Lacey. Yeah. The interaction between Lacey's space warping and Oya's time warping will actually be important this episode, so uh, we have to note both of those things were happening simultaneously. Screen with time and space. Wonderful. Time and space. Oh. Now I'm just thinking of pigs in space. You too? But yes, we had... Oh, so good. So yes, we had time manipulation or shenanigans. We had space manipula- manipulation and shenanigans. I'm gonna stand by calling it space warping and time warping. Shenanigans. Warp nanigans. That silence is Kato wanting to kill me. So let's move on. No, 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 no. Sorry. It's Kato wanting to kill you more aggressively than normal. Ah. (laughs) (laughs) Good distinction. It is a good distinction. So we had some beyond human level difficulty for Cass to be an absolute beast, Mm. which is wild. Cass is very, very strong. Cass is a strong boy. Yes. Almost entirely incorrect in every possible way. Uh, <laughs> but One day, I will die because Kato will have killed me. And it will just be one word that I've said slightly wrong. Yeah. That it's just going gonna, it's gonna to tick them off and I will die. Yes. Straw that uh, pokes the camel's back. <laughs> yeah, obviously that would never happen and is in no way true and this podcast could not be taken uh, as an admission of guilt or premeditation oh. or motive. It's like the sorry roof from Kayanda. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I did really really like the the moments with Cass. I think that starting out by trying to just help keep the bus afloat and then sort of moving to actually having to lift the bus as as sort of all power was lost was a great sort of intensification of the strength demand from her. And it also gave us the most beautiful uh, mechanics roleplay closed circle as she spent four experience points to level up, well, not to level up, but to advance one step closer to the next tier in the middle of the show, which is so delightful for my... Basically, you have to picture Kato as a person who has two strands of DNA, one of which is labelled mechanics and the other of which is labelled roleplay. Uh, and he requires them to be basically in physical contact at all times. And it's just, it's wrapped in this tube of boat. Yeah, I will, ooh, where, yeah, where does the boat come in? The boat can be the ribosomes. <laughs> the boat can be the ribosomes. What? It's the mechanism by which the DNA is realised into actual substance. Boats! So I think I, I really like this as a thing, because it's very superhero-y. Mm. Like, the moment, like that, that kind of make-or-break moment of, of power... 
you think you can't give any more until the moment when you must give more or people will die and then you start giving more like it's yeah. it's a beautiful uh it's a beautiful beautiful thing and it was so cool i had the superman thing playing in my head while this was going on see for me it's it's this it's the spider-man moment with the rubble but less sad obviously yeah i know i know you hate pete but like it's a good moment it's a it's an adequate moment <laughs> kato grow up <laughs> I do think it it was a really nice moment. Like one of the beautiful things about the bus conflict is that basically everyone got to do a thing. You know, it's just the core five of them. We don't have Hector anymore, and we had Lacey doing lots and lots of uh, mechanical stuff and space time, and Oya doing lots of the time stuff, and then Gina t- using Luma to talk to people, and then Hops being quite frustrated and coming in at the last moment to zap and to participate and to be part of it, and then also cast lifting. So it meant that. In solving this problem, everyone got a little bit of the spotlight, which was really nice. But just mm. Amy physically tr- trying to mime the hold up and and giving the sort of the beautiful effort of her arms shaking as Cassie's struggling with this huge weight is really just a top moment. Ah, oh, it's all about the little things. Mm. There was so much beautiful physicality in this episode. I think it just makes you appreciate the ability to watch as well as to listen because they have beautiful voices. They have beautiful emotion in everything they do and say but the fact that they're all in costume and they're all kind of in this kind of somewhat transient world and they can do those moments of physicality is really cool as well it does give it a nice sense of verisimilitude like that i enjoy that i don't really haven't really gotten from any other like live stream shows mm. oh so is it time to talk about the void monster so are we done with being happy for today i mean I'm always done with being happy. It's called depression. Okay. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, I mean, uh, way to joke about a serious thing. I know. (laughs) But that's called a coping mechanism. Yeah. Welcome. Uh, (laughs) So, Fletcher and Funkos. In some ways, we need to start by talking about not them. By talking about the Hops and Sheon conversation. Yes. Because that's, again, like... Like I said, everyone gets a really cool moment this episode, and lots of it is tied up with the bus, but Hops's real strength is actually coming out in the roleplay this episode with kind of, you see, the knock-on effect of losing Anton has just been so huge for Hops, and we know that, we dis- as we discussed, if Hops hadn't gone back for Anton, Anton would have had the action to get, it- to get out alive, and he used his last moments to save Hops, and if Hops hadn't been there, he wouldn't have had to. And we talked about it, like, that's a huge thing that will give Hops a lot of guilt that she is obviously carrying forward. But she has chosen to take a very proactive route, which is to say that she was made incapable of doing anything by the sheer power of Vunikos' presence within that extra-dimensional space. And the fear that uh, they created rendered her completely helpless. And she's looking for a way to prevent that. Which is actually really proactive and positive and sensible i think uh, it's it's certainly smart i mean from just a gameplay in perspective you're gonna if you're incapacitated by fear when fighting the big bad that's a lot of problems uh so yeah you you really want to really want to dump that fear yeah just die and roll a halfling you're fine yes well look at the number of times like in critical role one how often vox machina were reliant on heroes feasts to prevent fright from overwhelming them as a party like it fear is a very powerful mechanic and it can totally ruin your game plan and your strategy when going into these things and it's really really interesting because i think the conversation between hops and Sheon is about two different things really isn't it 
so Xion says no because Xion is worried about Hops' health and Hops' well-being. But Hops' argument is, if the universe doesn't exist, it doesn't matter that I'm not fine. I think Xion's also worried that by playing around with um, Hops' mind, it could go wrong somehow. I mean, if Xion's only just started using their power, so is quite a novice with it so trying to apply that to a such a complex thing as a mind trying to remove memories of being frightened well maybe Xion does would do something wrong in that maybe it goes wrong and really messes hops up and then there's also that moral issue that Xion's dealing with well if I do this for hops what's not to say that I'll start doing this on my own without permission. I don't want to become Purple Man. Exactly. So, and I believe when, you know, that's what I really saw in Eric's portrayal of Xion. Dealing with that, not only just, you know, just, hey, I'm new to this, but also this could send me down a very dark road that I don't want to, I'm, I'm, doing my best not to go down. And ultimately, like, it is up to Xion to make the decision that they don't want to use their powers in this way, even with Hops' consent. Uh, I think it's very reasonable for Xion to to make that choice, to make that refusal. And Xion's logic is very grounded in their therapy background, which is that, you know, repressing memories isn't great, necessarily. And sort of trying to live in it and accept it and move past it is a very therapeutic approach towards past trauma and towards sort of to to PTSD-like things. The problem is that that is not actually what Hobbes' problem is. Hobbes is not necessarily going, please remove the fact that I was terrified of this person. Hobbes is saying, can you prevent me from being terrified again? When I get into that same situation, can you help me in such a way that I can move past it? And it's a slightly different thing because often you have fears that come from past traumas. So like fear is a response that your brain has to being damaged and your brain makes connections and goes oh i was stabbed here so therefore this is bad and and sometimes you know you're stabbed by a guy in a serial killer mask and you make the rational connection between being stabbed and people in serial killer masks and other times you're like at the zoo or on a beach or with a person that you love and your brain makes the irrational connection to something that is not related to the thing that caused you harm so you know if a lion moves you okay to be scared of lions Less okay to be scared of balloons, if there happen to be balloons nearby kind of thing. But Hops actually isn't scared of Vooncast because of something that happened. It's just that Vooncast can do that to a person by physically being in the space. It's a part of who Vooncast is. It's a part of their aura. And that's not something you can necessarily therapy away in a lot of, sort of, in, a, in, in real terms. Because that's not, it's, it's a supernatural effect rather than a, a logical or a, a sort of neurochemical one. It's magic. Mm, it's magic. Magic. You need an amulet of courage, which will give you advantage on all your um, rolls against fear, I believe. Yeah. yeah. I don't think that's in the cipher book they're playing with. I think ah. that the cipher list that they have is mainly bombs. That That's true. And also bombs. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Did I not say it's bombs and then there's some bombs? Yeah. So you just forgot that there were, like, bombs. Yeah. It's fascinating because I... I I have a lot of sympathy for Xion. I have 
total respect for Xion's choice, but I also really, really, really see where Hops is coming from, which is that Hops is obviously hurting, obviously blames herself for some of what happened to Anton, but, like, Hops very clearly sees Vooncast as not something that she has developed a fear from naturally, but as a sort of supernatural cause of fear that's part of his, like, power set. And the other thing is just, like, from the slightly more biased mechanical point of view, is that Bonnie probably knows that Hops does not have a huge amount of intel power. And so, best case scenario, there's a risk that Vooncast's aura of frightening still takes Hops out in the final fight. And it's a real risk, if they don't have some way to combat his sort of fear mechanic, that this will become a, a serious problem. And like, do you want Hops to be out of the final battle because she's too afraid to do anything? Is that a reasonable or sensible thing to have happen? Because there's a risk that she just won't be able to say. Like she couldn't last time. And considering how much of a heavy hitter Hops is in the team, like Hops and Cass clearly like clearly do the most damage. Mm. And that we may get to a point where we need to chunk the crap out of Vooncos. Mm. Hops is definitely the highest damage dealer in the party. She's the best at physical combat as a, as a sort of skill or asset. And I can see why both Bonnie and Hops would say, I would like a mechanical way to avoid this. I would like a defense against this mental fear effect because it took my character out last time. And she's role-playing it perfectly sensible, sensibly. She's saying, my character has realized this is a problem and she's looking for a solution to it. And she is getting blown back. Hops is getting blown back on the kind of, well, it's not healthy for you to repress this fear. And just as an aside... It, it, sometimes it is healthy to repress fears. There's a lot of there's a lot of evidence now that we used to think, and it was a, a particularly an American psych- psychology thing, that if you just talked about everything bad that had ever happened to you, it would have no power over you. But the kind of the move in recent psychology has actually been that you need to talk about the th- the bad things that have happened to you when you are ready to talk about them. And sometimes your brain will shut off and repress memories that you have as part of a coping mechanism, and then they will surface sort of like years later as your brain has recovered from the trauma that originally happened. And you're not meant to anymore make a person relive every traumatic moment of their life over and over again until you feel like you've talked to them enough. You're actually meant to say, yeah, okay, like, if there's other stuff you're repressing, it's all right, it will come out when it's ready to come out and when you're ready to deal with it in a sort of brain health terms. So actually, (laughs) in some ways, Xion... Uh, although I don't think Xion necessarily knows what's good for Hops' brain as much as Hops' brain does, uh, in some ways, suppressing a memory isn't necessarily considered as bad as it once was in, in pure psych terms. But, like, it is frustrating for Hops to get blown back, because Hops is kind of going, like, who cares if my mental health is crap? Like, if the universe doesn't exist next week, what does it matter? So she has a, a huge amount of, kind of, sense in going and reaching for this not entirely healthy co- coping mechanism. It makes for some interesting questions. Mm. And I think it is it is a little bit tricky because we didn't have Aki at the table. Yeah, and I think Aki had had Xion refused last time. So it's reasonable for Eric to reflect that. And I think probably Xion wouldn't be worn down. But that is probably as much a reflection of Xion's uncertainty in their powers, the fear of getting stuff wrong, and their misplaced belief in what Vooncast is. Mm as being a sort of a mundane thing that Hops is afraid of, as opposed to a supernatural thing that Hops is, un- is afraid of. I don't think necessarily that, that the the solution to this problem is that Hops convinces Xion to change their mind. I think it's likely that what you need to say is actually Hops, and by extension Bonnie, needs to be given the option to find a different solution than this. Yeah. Like, 
is there a cipher of bravery? There would be in a fantasy campaign, but there isn't in this bomb-focused cipher list world that we live in. Or maybe there's a bravery bomb. Well, there's definitely boosts to intel-based intel sort of effort spends and things, yeah. but mainly they've been giving them to people like Oya and Lacey and occasionally just using them as heal boosts. Mm. But there's nothing necessarily that would fill that slot or that problem. And I think like Bonnie has correctly identified it as a uh, like a mechanical need they should try to fill. So, you know, time will tell whether they find a solution to this problem before the final problem. Potentially, we, we may even see Lacey make something. Mm. But Lacey is only allowed to make one thing a season, I believe. Oh. I know. Uh-huh. Because Lacey makes basically artifact-level objects, don't they? Yeah. Otherwise, uh, Lacey would be uh, too strong. Very, very powerful. <laughs> so, you know how we mentioned before that Lacey did a space warp? And then mm-hmm. Oya did a time warp. Mm-hmm. You know how, like, um, reality doesn't make sense in 2120? Yeah, particularly not on the moon, but also anywhere that space doesn't work. Particularly not on the moon, but also not anywhere, because they kind of made a door. Well, they didn't make a door. They just knocked a hole in half of the wall. Yeah, they kind of, like, just took a, took a sledgehammer and said, knock, knock, we're home. And then Vrincos had some fun. They thinned the bound- boundaries of reality, and they summoned a Vrincos. <laughs> and... Oh, wow, the Vrincos appeared. <laughs> there's, only, there's only one type of Vrincos. And it actually led to some really interesting news and discussion about Anton, in that kind of Luma learned that maybe Anton could hear them if they were in the right place at the right time, and he was alive to hear them. And then Oya actually physically felt him and his presence on the other side of the boundaries. At the same time... Hearing Vrincos messed basically everybody up and, as we discussed, took Hops out of being useful for a little bit. Mm. And Hops had to be collected by Oya to physically get her back and safe and out of a bus that was crashing to the ground. It kind of made for a bad time. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was not fun. Uh, we should not have <laughs> let the walls of reality thin to the extent that a worm and or possibly Vrincos could get through into our reality. That was a mistake, certainly. Um, I don't know why Lacey was juggling five portals and Oya was messing with time, but, you know, they were trying to save some people. Reasonable sort of response. Exactly. But I think you see just how immediately and how quickly Hops is taken out of the entire game by just hearing Runecoss's voice, which has to give you some appreciation for just how bad she has it in terms of, you know, dealing with fear. I think it's a combination of it being a weakness for... Uh, her as a character, but also Vunkos as a, as an antagonist. Mm. It's just this like this this curve of like the best thing that they're at that they're good at and the worst thing that hers. Yeah, it's certainly it's one of these things where like it is tasty, delicious roleplay. It is beautiful and it creates this amazing drama. And we get some really nice moments between Oya and Hops, where Oya immediately runs as well from Vunkos and then realizes she's left Hops behind and has to go back and literally apologize to be like kind of yeah like that messed me up I'm really sorry that I left you behind but it's also like okay but I don't want come episode 12 to literally discover that what happens is Vunkos is scary and then half the party gets scared and then they lose because half the party was scared that would not be a satisfying end to this story but that, that would be some poor management by the players, I suspect, if that were to happen. And I, I think they'll find a way around it. I mean, sometimes the dice do. 
But like, what what should they do? Because uh, Hops does not have that much of an intel pool or much of an intel effort pool. So there's only so much spending she can do to bump her anti-fear role. And she is in-game, non-metagaming, reaching for solutions that prevent her from being affected by fear and getting rebuffed. Kato, uh, yeah. I've got it. Noise-canceling headphones. I don't think it's that his voice is scary. It's it's the whole, like, uh of him. Them, even. I think it's the whole, like, you know, I'm a weird distortion in space-time with glowing eyes and I look terrifying. That's what's scary about me. It's not my deep and sexy voice. I am incomprehensible to your mortal brain. <laughs> yeah. So, you know. We, we will, again, and like always, more information is required. It's not that more information is required, though. It's just that, like, I need the future to happen now. <laughs> Those are different so, so what you're saying is that there is information you do not have. No, no. That, you yeah, need. that is required no, yeah. to process this saying. line of thinking. That's yeah. not what I'm saying at all, because the future is not information, because it hasn't been written yet. So but like, the information, the point at which you acquire the information is in the future. Yeah, but the information doesn't exist, and it might not even be information, so like, I don't think that that's true, that that's what I'm saying, because like... It, it depends if you believe in determinism or not, but that's not what we're here to talk about. No. Not at all. So, we know Anton's alive, which is Yay. positive. We um, suspect. No, no, no. Oya spent to know that Anton was actually alive. She felt I know. Yeah. I know, but I'm just being... Whether he's alive There's... and in a good state is a, is another thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, you know, dimensional nonsense. Yes. Mm-hmm. However, there is so much ambiguity and uncertainty on this podcast and this show in general that it really helps if we don't start making things more uncertain than they already are. But that's fun, Kato. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> it's really not in any way. <laughs> not for you. No, I mean, like... I just imagine uh, Kato's right now plotting another way to murder you. Yeah, I know. I'm well aware. No, 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 no. Because if I murder him, then I don't get to teach him that I'm right. Whereas, like, what I'm actually doing is trying to work out a way that I can show him that I'm right. And then, and then can, murder like, him. Be pathetic and apologizing and groveling for the rest of his short and pitiful existence. Wow. <laughs> so apparently I'm going to just, you know, die soon. No, 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 no. You're going to die as soon as you break and you, you can say <laughs> that I'm right. Kato, you make one hell of a villain. Yeah, this is why I'm the GM. So, Regardless. Yeah, let's talk about actual villains that exist in 2119. So, Fingos is getting just worse in every res- possible respect. Mm-hmm. Much like Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and we have another planning and theorizing t- session, which, again, is because there's so much ambiguity and uncertainty in this world that we've created. Mm-hmm. But I think we don't necessarily learn or discover anything new but what happens is that we get some sort of clarification of plans, some sort of refinement of concepts, which helps to make things clearer for the audience. But I, I kind of thought about it, and I think this is roughly where we were last time we talked about this. It's just that we're getting more focused in what kind of the team wants to do about it, if that makes sense. What did you guys think? The the planning and theorizing certainly made uh, things a bit more clearer for me exactly what was going on. I mean, when you're dealing with interdimensional beings, it's always going to be a bit weird but uh, yeah I think this kind of helped 
<laughs> clarify in my head. <laughs> mm. I think in some ways this game is much more a spiritual successor to Doctor Who than it is to Urgent of Tomorrow. Just because Vincos is significantly more like a kind of wrestling level villain than they are like, say, a random Orion with a, a, a bad time bomb for reality. Yeah. The scale of the conflict and the sort of the level of concern is very different um, and much more like Doctor Who and therefore a little bit more timey-wimey and brain-hurty in the, sort of, <laughs> the twisty ways. Don't try and figure it out. You'll just waste time. Yeah, causality is dead. So I think it would be helpful if we tried to differentiate Vuncos, which is the name of the sort of extra-dimensional entity, with like Fletcher, which is kind of specifically the avatar the entity has in this reality. So Fletcher is a guy currently occupying sort of, we presume, a Krausian body in some respects, and might or might not also be a little grey alien, uh, such as the one we saw get murdered on live television at the end of last season. Yeah. Grey. Alien. Grey. Uh, alien. No, I hate grey aliens. <laughs> the worst. I want to believe. I mean, we have so much evidence that Vinkos and Fletcher, by extension, are real. So there's this sort of idea that, like, if Fletcher is the one that's right here now physically present in the world, and everything that Vuncos is doing is driving towards manifesting or awakening in Fletcher something that destroys and ruins the times of every universe, because there's a suggestion by Patel that I don't think is backed up by really anything at all, that this universe is the prime universe or the sort of the focal universe against which all other universes are balanced and weighed. And if things go okay in this universe, then we win. And if things don't go okay in this universe, then we die. I don't know what she is basing that on, because, like, assuming a reasonably sized multiverse, there's just absolutely no way you could confirm that with enough realities to make it significantly, statistically significant as a concept. Comic we book only... logic. That's what she's based on, comic books. We've, we've heard from, like, four different universes, two at least of which died before this one was born. It could be one of those things where it's this is the only one in which they succeed, and therefore the only one that has consequential timelines branching out. Yeah, but we don't know that because we haven't collapsed, so... Yeah, yeah obviously, uh, like, we, we, we have no idea. We know that Ollie's universe exists, and we know that the uh, Murder Broadcast universe exists, and we know that there were two universes that did exist before this universe came into being, from which uh, successive Loomers were sent. So we know that we're the third in a chain, but that there are two others that exist outside the chain. And we can say that the first two iterations of the chain, they were failures, but we don't know that Ollie's universe ends in failure, and we don't know that the uh, murder broadcast universe ends in failure, necessarily. Like, maybe in the murder, murder broadcast universe, the corporates win. We just don't know. Like, five universes is just not a hugely great sample size when we're <laughs> talking about the multiverse as a concept. So it's just... It's just too small when you're talking about infinity to really make any kind of judgment call at all. Your science is bad and you should feel bad. Your sample sizes are just so, so minuscule relative to the amount of data I, you I'm, be... I'm really hoping there's a universe where the Callisto 6 are all penguins <laughs> and they just end up beating Vunkos uh, with their beaks. I stand by mirror Callisto 6 universe where they all have beards and are evil and Fletcher slash Vunkos is good. Because <laughs> that one they probably lose in, but that's fine because Fletcher Slash Runecos is good in that universe. Yay. So everything is happy and fun. <laughs> but I do appreciate it. 
it's kind of a kind of nod to the 616 kind of dealio. But the 616 is garbage. It is. Welcome to Marvel Comics. Nothing makes sense. And it doesn't necessarily even exist anymore, despite what they tell you. Yeah, I know. Ah, comics. Mm. I'm wondering if Murder Broadcast Universe is Ollie's universe or not. Ooh, that is a good question. Yeah. I think they're diff- I think we know they're different because of... I, I, like, have we not reconnected with Ollie this season and gone, hey, uh, in your universe... Yeah, did, did we not check, like, in your universe, was there a, a public TV broadcast where an alien was killed? I don't think that question was asked. Nope, I don't think that question was asked at all. I'm sure that came up. No, I don't think so either. They were more preoccupied with the moon. Okay. That would have been a great question to ask, though. Well, I assumed that that was the case because it makes sense, I think. But, like, fine. Uh, It may only be three universes. Either way, the sample (laughs) size is still way too small. Uh, In fact, even smaller if that's the case. I could make sort of a weird video game reference story-wise about, you know, different worlds and that, but it, it gets a little spoilery because it just came out with a new expansion for it, so... Never mind, then. Is this no World spoilers. of Warcraft? Base, no. Actually, it's <laughs> Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, oh, fuck both of those games. <laughs> uh, I'll say this. It, 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 they say this early on. Basically, the world that Final Fantasy XIV in is one of 13 worlds that were separated. And the one that uh, Final Fantasy XIV is set in is what they call the Source. That's all I'll say is. And, and they were trying to combine it. There's a group that's trying to combine it back into one world. Is that sort of what's going on with Fletcher? Is he trying to take all these alternate universes and finding an anchor, bring them all in under his heel, which would actually start destroying things because wibbly wobbly timey wimey university dimensional stuff. Hey, fuck that game. Um, <laughs> but there's there's no evidence that that is true. There is no evidence. Is that Fletcher's long term end game? Hmm. The problem is like the multi dimensional entity that is Reincos is very difficult to comprehend with the human mind. But just, like, fundamentally, there's no reason that they can't be doing exactly what they're doing in what we would call our universe, in this universe, in every other universe they're a part of. So Patel is like, well, they seem to, like, Vincor seems to be really focused on trying to, like, bring down and prevent the Cluster 6 in this universe, but we don't have anything to compare that with. So we don't know what Vincor is or isn't doing in other universes. So there is potentially... A whole host of universes where Vincos is even more active and present than they are in our one. It's just that we haven't encountered those universes, so we don't know that relative to them, they're kind of hands-off in our universe, for example. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question. It's, yeah. Patel is making huge leaps of logic that I think show why maybe I would take a PhD offer. <laughs> That's fine. Like, we don't need this universe to be the most important universe in existence because it's the only universe we can make a tangible difference to. So obviously it's the universe that we have to try to change. I kind of, I reject the idea of there being a prime universe or an ultimate, like, good universe because you don't need it to tell a good story. Like, the stakes are just as reasonable if you're like, well, you have to save this universe because this is the universe you're in. Worrying about any of the others is a distraction. And that's probably much more workable and logical than going, this universe must be the most important one. That's a bit like someone arguing that 
their country is the best country in the world just because it's the one they have to do bo be born in. It's my universe is the most important universe in the multiverse because it's the one I was born into. No, you're wrong. Yeah, but we could also get a cool thing where they have to sacrifice their universe for every other universe. Would that be cool or would that be the murder of hundreds of thousands of on millions of people for uh, tangible gain and very sad and tragic? It'd be billions. It'd be billions and billions and billions. What is hundreds of thousands of millions, if not billions? It's a fake number. Uh, <laughs> but yes, so, like, but that is also an option for what's happening here to kind of potentially lock Vunkos away. But who knows? Literally no one, because the future has not been written. Literally no one. It has not, or maybe it has. So let's move on to a slightly more happy note that we can potentially save... Synapse, and the rest of the C5 people. Uh-huh. Or, instead, Fletcher and or uh, allies of Fletcher and or the corpse, because who even knows what game they're playing at the moment, could harvest that same energy, which is just around in the air, to create horrifying, terrible monster bad things. See, I was trying to be positive, Kato. Can, you can do both. Well, I think there's only so much energy in the air. Oh, I'm sure, I'm sure there's enough to say Synapse and to create horrible monsters. Yeah, probably. The real thing is, though, like, at the moment, the C6 have the following assets. Themselves, mm -hmm. an airship. And the moment, Fletcher has the following assets. All of corporate Los Angeles, presumably, plus whatever other secret stuff Fletcher has been using this whole time. Which of those two groups do you think is most likely to be able to harvest energy from literally the air and turn it to their will? I feel like this is a slightly loaded question, Kato. <laughs> um, I can't help to feel like you're manipulating me The way you're asking this question I'm going to say the corpse Hey you never know, Callisto 6 might be plucky underdogs <laughs> And they can do it Plus they got the best mind in this universe With Dr. Patel Dr. Patel Who makes very very bad Leaps of logic <laughs> Based on very few Pieces of data Whose extrapolation is off the charts like any good comic book scientist. I will say it was nice to see that Moonlight was actually thinking of resources correctly. <gasps> They're running out of fuel, guys. Yeah. This is a bad thing. <laughs> they actually mentioned fuel. Have they ever refueled before? I'm sure they have off screen, but they've never talked about it. It's like going to the toilet. It's not, you don't say anything unless it's important. Uh, mm. I presume their buddy old man Kylan could probably help them out with fuel if no one else in the world. Yeah. Yes, but I think generally this focus, this talk was a very good one. It focused their minds on a couple of things. So yes, they theoretically can cave, save Synapse and the other C6 people, but they all kind of went, okay, in order to do that, realistically, we have to stop Fletcher. And in order to save Anton, we have to stop Fletcher. And so the only real question now is, do they take their underwater base back and try and build up some rest and some energy before they go and try and stop Fletcher? Or do they just try and take Fletcher right away and then deal with their other problems? As far as I can tell, the way that they were uh, hinting towards it, I think they're going to establish a base and then taking the fight to them. Mm. That's only like that's the only real question. Most of their problems have been put aside until they have comprehensively dealt with Fletcher. Mm -hmm. I will point out that we have been here before because... Last season, they decided to put all of their other problems aside to try and stop Fletcher. And they ended up on the moon, miles away from where they could do anything to help anyone at all, and in a horrible time warp situation where they lost a member of their crew. So, 
My hopes are not high for them stopping Fletcher. So what you're saying, it didn't entirely work out? No, the, no. They, they failed at their primary mission objective. Yeah, maybe just a little bit. Maybe just a tad. So while it does seem like the latter half of the season is going to be focused towards the theoretical goal of stopping Fletcher by any means possible, that is what their goal last season was. And in some ways we can just see how long, how many seasons it take them to actually achieve that, given that they keep working off bad information that sends them literally off this world on a wild goose chase last time. There was no wild goose chase. It didn't take them to Fletcher. It didn't take them to anything that was useful at all to stop Fletcher. Except a little bit more power. It was a little bit, it was a domestic goose chase. It, it, it cannot <laughs> possibly have been domestic. It was by its very definition international. They went to the moon. Domestic as in controlled. <laughs> Different usage of domesticated. Well, domestic to this universe. It wasn't even domestic to this universe. They ended up in so many other universes. Yeah, they didn't. <laughs> yeah. Interdimensional wild goose chase. <laughs> so yeah, they might fix the Fletcher problem by the end of the season, but they might again end up, who knows where, maybe Saturn, on a differently wild goose chase. <laughs> or a domestic goose chase. We shall see. And with that, you can follow the Raft City Radio podcast on Twitter, at Callisto6Pod. Or email us at raftcityradio at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store, and we would gladly appreciate it if you decide to leave a rating or write a review. We now have a Patreon and a coffee. Links to both can be found on Twitter. Support us on Patreon for early access to our episodes and for some bonus content. Our show notes for this episode can be located at www.raftcityradio.com forward slash episode forward slash 3-7. Our theme song is Cephalopod by Kevin MacLeod. And you can find his work at incompetech.com. Thank you for listening, and stay tuned to this frequency. I am I am not the person that I would thought would be the anti- the protagonist to a villain, but hey. Listen. Listen. I don't I don't think necessarily that what you are is the protagonist. Or are we to both a just just morally ambiguous characters? Look, at best I'm an anti-hero. So are you an anti-hero and am, and am I an anti-villain? Is this what's mm. happening right now? Yes. Oh. Yes.